0: man good morning morning. all right um this morning if you have a bible turn with me to the book of luke chapter 10 luke chapter 10 this morning as we um are going through our our series right now just jesus full of grace and truth i think it's important for us to uh, remember that it's not grace or truth but it's grace and truth it's God's love, it's God's mercy. Um, when we think of grace, we usually think of those types of things, but truth is also part of God's love. God loves us so much that he's willing to tell the truth uh, to us and, and about us. So as we read in uh, Luke chapter 10, uh, before we go there, I wanted to update you just on a couple of things. We, we did some of those uh, turkey um, Thanksgiving Uh, dinners that were delivered to people's homes so for those of you that donated uh, to bless those people thank you for doing that and uh, the youth had a great time delivering those things and um, there are still some more needs Um, just last night my son uh, texted me about one of the needs for a friend of his so um, as Christmas is coming up and uh, we we look for the ability to bless others let's see if this slide comes up there we go um you know we have thanksgiving week and uh sometimes it's all about the the shopping and you know black friday and getting things done and i just think it's important for us just to pause and to thank god but also to look at ways that we can be a blessing to other people uh to look for ways that we could help others and so i want to encourage you to continue to to do that and and set your heart during not only this month but as we go forward just to focus on jesus to focus on not only what he's done for us but how we could be a blessing to others and I know that when holidays come up sometimes um sometimes that's a hard time I know that depression can hit for some people and and sometimes when there's family difficulties that that becomes a a hard time and I just want to encourage you spend time with people that you love and um and just show them the love of God whether they how they however they treat you however they act towards you The more that we receive of God's love, the more that we're able to give um, of that as well. So uh, anyhow, I just wanted to let you know about that. Also, I wanted to pray for a couple of opportunities. Uh, One of them, Vine Hill School. I I think I've shared with you before about the opportunities to bless some of the families there. Uh, The principal that we're trying to build relationships with has said um, uh, that one of the needs is for some of the families there for some Christmas Uh, Dinner and some support. So, we want to come alongside of them as well. And then um, I want to pray right now for the principal of Scotts Valley High School. Her name is Valerie Baratow. Um, We just found out that she has breast cancer, and so she's going to take a leave of absence uh, beginning next week. So, I just want to pray for that. Father, this morning uh, we ask again, Lord, that you would help us to not only be grateful for what you've done for us, but Lord, help us to see the needs of people around us. God, we, we thank you for families that may have been helped during uh, the Thanksgiving um, uh, operation. Lord, we also pray for Christmas as it comes up that people's hearts would be open towards you. Whether it would be through a, a Christmas cafe or just being a neighbor to someone. Father, we uh, ask for your eyes to see people as you see them. And then, Lord, we want to pray for um, for Mrs. Baratow, Lord, over at Scotts Valley High School. Um, Lord i don't know where she's at as far as uh, knowing you or not, but Lord, we ask for healing we We pray, Lord, that you would surround her with a community of people that love her and support her and and may she know that there is a God in heaven that loves her. Lord, uh, minister to her, and uh, we thank you in Jesus name. Amen. All right, so this morning, turn with me to Luke chapter ten. And as we read in Luke chapter 10, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pick it up in verse 23 and we're going to read through. And as we do that, what you're going to see is this is a very, very familiar parable. Um, It's a really familiar uh, Bible passage. And one of the things that's the difficulty of familiar Bible passages is that we could sometimes recite them. How many of you know the parable of the Good Samaritan? All right, so... A lot of you guys have heard that or you know, maybe you've been to Good Sam Hospital, you know, and that's named after the Good Samaritan. Um, Someone uh, that stops on the side of a road to help another person, we call that person a Good Samaritan. But I, I just pray that the Holy Spirit would give us fresh eyes this morning as we read this and then we're going to look at some of the truths that God has for us this morning. Beginning in verse 23, it says, then he, Jesus, turned to his disciples and said privately, blessed are the eyes which see the things you see for I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see what you see and have not seen it and to hear what you hear and have not heard it and behold a certain lawyer stood up and tested him saying teacher what shall I do to inherit eternal life he said to him what is written in the law what is your reading of it and so he answered and said you shall love the Lord your God with your all your heart with all your soul with all your strength and with all your mind. And your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you've answered rightly, do this and you will live. But he wanting to justify himself said to Jesus, and who's my neighbor? Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a certain priest came down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. The good Samaritan. Um, when you consider this road that uh, Jesus is speaking about, Um, He's telling this lawyer, um, this story about this uh, man who went from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves. And the man that he is telling this story to is uh, uh, an expert in the law of God. Um, When it says that he's a lawyer, uh, he's not like on law and order. He's not like a prosecution or defense attorney. Uh, He's an expert in God's law, the Torah. And this expert in God's law comes to Jesus and it says that he stood up and he tested Jesus Now, one thing that we see before this man comes and he stood up and tested Jesus is that Jesus turned to his disciples privately and he explained to them, you see things that people want to see. The prophets have wanted to see people in the past have wanted to see these things. I'm telling you these things very plainly. But then you notice that so many times in scripture that Jesus talks to other people in parables. To the disciples, it's very plain. To these other people, sometimes there's these parables. And and usually, most of the time, it's to a religious community that think that they know Jesus, and many times they put Jesus in a box. It says that the lawyer, uh, this uh, expert in the law of God, it says that he stood up and he tested Jesus. And I think that it's important to realize that when we come to the Lord and we we really seek the Lord, that we seek him with a heart that is willing to be taught. We seek him with a heart that says, God, what do you want to show me? You know, there's just a connotation of standing up and testing someone. The word test there is not just a a word like he's really seeking. It's a word that has the connotation of, you know what, I'm trying to figure out how to trip you up. I'm going to put you to the test. Sometimes as a teacher, um, how many teachers do we have out here? All right, so we have teachers. So those of you that are teachers, you know that there are times whether you're teaching in a school or teaching in a, a home fellowship or teaching, you know, whatever context, even in work, even in an office, even in a business environment. Sometimes people ask you questions, but they're not really asking a question. Have you ever noticed that? Sometimes they're asking a question. They know the answer. They're trying to trip you up. Sometimes they just want to see you fumble over your words and they want to stump the teacher. And, and I don't know if you've ever had that experience where that student, that person, that employer isn't, that employee, they're not really asking a question because they want to know truth. They're trying to, to trap. They're trying to, to catch you. They're trying to, to show you that you might not really know what you're talking about. I'll tell you, as a teacher, your pride, at least my pride, I'll speak for myself, I don't know about you, but my pride, when I had students, I was teaching in a public school, when those students would try to trip me up and to test me like that, it they would just be like, my, my blood would rush to my face a little bit, and I'd calm down. If I knew that they were really asking a question, I loved it. Love answering questions. I love students that are looking for knowledge. Students that are just trying to trip me up, not, not so much. But Jesus is more gracious than I am. Uh, In fact, he's more gracious than any of us are. And so this attorney, this uh, lawyer, uh, expert in the law of God that stood up to test Jesus, um, I think it's important that we realize that there are times in Scripture, one time in particular, where God says, put me to the test. So you read this and you go, well, doesn't God say to put him to the test? Let me read this to you out of Malachi chapter 3. Scripture says this, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. This is God speaking. He says, and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. This is so important that we see the scripture in context. In the context, God speaking to people through the prophet Malachi is challenging them because they haven't been obedient to him. They have been divorcing left and right. They haven't been giving. They haven't been generous. They haven't been obeying God's commandments. And God says, test me in this. If you obey me, if you act in faith and do what I say, if I won't bring blessing upon you. This scripture has been kind of twisted. I I, I remember um, there was a church at the uh, church that I used to pastor, they used to rent from us, or actually they they shared the facility, and I, I found their tithing bags. They left their tithing bags. And their tithing bags had a, a bag, and there was a wooden handle, just like you know ones that we have, but on it, etched, handmade. It wasn't like they ordered them this way, but they carved in Malachi 3.10. So So as people are passing this, you know down they're they're looking at Malachi 3:10, you know, test me in this and and, and it's just kind of and, and they went on to talk about the other scripture Malachi 3:10 and the other scripture Malachi that says you're robbing God. So in the context of this, it's important that God says, "Yes, you could test him if it is to trust and act in faith." It's a test whenever God puts something in my heart to do and he shows me something where I need to take a step of faith. And in that case, yes, absolutely. When you take a step of faith and obedience to do what God tells you to do, you know what? God is always faithful and he always shows himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are steadfast towards him. This is not the kind of testing that this, um, this lawyer was doing towards Jesus. This was a test To put him to the test as in a lack of trust. So this morning the question is are we testing Jesus or are we seeking Jesus? This morning are you testing him or are you seeking him? Because there's a difference in that. If you're seeking Jesus, he is up to the test. But if you're testing Jesus, then be careful. What should I do to inherit? He asked this question. What shall I do to inherit? Think about an inheritance today. An inheritance usually comes, first of all, by birth and then by knowing the deceased. An inheritance comes by birth and knowing the deceased. Well, let me tell you that for us as followers of Christ, our inheritance comes because, first of all, um, it comes by being born again, regeneration, as we looked at last week with Nicodemus. It comes by birth and it comes by knowing the deceased, Jesus, who has died for our sins and is risen again but he asked this question and it's a a good question. In fact, it's the most important question that he could ask. What must I do to be saved or to inherit eternal life? Nicodemus asked this question. Remember the rich young ruler asked this question, but how did he ask it? Was this a a real question or was it stump the teacher question? Um, I used to teach and I had the incredible privilege of teaching the Bible as literature in a public high school uh, to 40 students they capped the class at 40 and it was an elective and there was a waiting list to get into the class Um, maybe out of a class of 40 students I might have had six Christians so I had students that were interested students that they wanted to know the Bible but I had one student that was just incredibly bright really high scoring on all of his test scores And he was excited about taking the class, and his motivation was this. I'm going to take this class, and anyone in this class that believes in this book, or the teacher, if the teacher believes in this book, I am going to show that they are absolute fools. First day of class, going over the syllabus and what we're going to be studying. Because it's Bible, as literature, I teach it differently than I would in a, a church, because, you know, I'm not... I'm not teaching them as believers. I'm teaching them as those that are students wanting to study this book. But he asked this question. First day of class, Mr. Valencia, um, do you believe this book? Direct question. As a teacher, I can give a direct answer. Yeah, yeah, Ben, I I do. Yeah, Ben. So do you believe that that God created this world? Ben, yeah, I, I do. I believe that. So do you believe that God spoke, and all of a sudden, all of these things, the universe came into existence? I said, you know what, Ben? Let me ask you a question. So instead of answering his question right there, I asked him a question. I said, do you believe that the universe is eternal? No. Why not? Well, second law of thermodynamics says that, you know, in the law of entropy, that, you know, things are breaking down, and there was a beginning, and the energy is dissipating, and so he knows all these things, and he's telling me these things. I'm like, yeah, that's really good. And I said, so do you believe that an explosion caused this? Well, yeah, there was some big bang. There was some like cosmic ooze and these things, you know, came into being. I said, so Ben, if you were to find a ball at the beach, a perfectly formed sphere, and you, you picked up that ball, would you think that that ball was just formed? Well, no, it was, probably, it was probably, you know, some ball that a person left there. I said, what if the ball was larger? Like, what if it were the ball's thousands of miles in diameter, and it spins really, really fast, and there's little creatures that live on the ball, and they don't go flying off of the ball, and then there's a bigger ball that brings heat, and if that little ball was just a, a, a percentage closer, it would burn up, and if it was a, a percentage farther, it would freeze. Or, or Ben, what about a, a small little tiny ball, you know, that has aqueous fluid in it with rods and cones that take light images and, and turn them into, into something that we call sight, I said, do you believe that that could just happen because of an explosion? And he was just looking at me, and I said, Ben, you got a lot of faith. And from there, I just went on to go through the syllabus. And every day, Ben had a stump the teacher question. And you know what? The the debate would go outside of the classroom. I, I loved it because it went to the break time. It went to lunch. And the Christians that were in the class were engaging other students. But a lot of the students were sincere, but, but Ben wasn't. I don't know what's happened to Ben. I don't know where he is today, but I, I've prayed for Ben. And other people have had discussions with him. But I, I look at Jesus, and what Jesus does is he goes to the heart of the question. He asks this lawyer, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? Uh, isn't it funny sometimes how Jesus answers questions with questions? Now, it's funny for me because I'm not the guy there. I hate when people do that to me. I hate when someone, you know, I ask them a question and then they answer me with a question. And I'm like, I didn't ask for a question. I asked for an answer. But I, I noticed that there are times when I do that as a parent. <laughs> you know, sometimes my kids will, will say things like, Dad, why can't I go out and do whatever it is? And I say, I don't know. You tell me. Why do you think I'm saying no? <laughs> and, oh, and then they get mad, and they walk away, you know, but Jesus is asking this question, and remember, whenever Jesus traps someone, whenever he gives a question, he's doing it because he loves them. See, I'm an unrighteous person, and I'm asking questions because I'm angry at times, wanting to stump them. Now, I believe me, I want Ben to know the truth, but there are times that I could just say something, but Jesus is saying this because he wants to get to the heart of the matter, and I think that sometimes when When we feel like, Jesus, you're not answering my question. I'm praying. I'm having my devotions. I'm reading the Bible because I want an answer to this question. I think that there are times when Jesus says, you know what? I want to talk to you about something else. So you keep on asking about what my will is as far as who you should marry, if this is the right person. But I have this blatant thing in your life that is wrong right now, and I need to show you your heart. God, what, what about next year? Where am I gonna move next year? What am I gonna do next year? And, and sometimes Jesus is saying, well, you're just a jerk to your family. And I just wanna tell you that you're being rude to your family. Well, I don't need to know that. What I need to know is next year. And, and see, Jesus sometimes gets right to the heart of the issue. And he's cutting to the juggler vein. Now this expert in the law, he, he answers Jesus's question. You shall love the Lord your God with your heart With all all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind. Um, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus said, you have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. We know this as the Shema. Hear, O Israel. Remember, Shema means hear. It's a Hebrew word that begins the most important prayer in all of Judaism. It's found in Deuteronomy chapter 6 with the command to hear. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. If you go to Israel today, even today, what you'll find is you'll find people walking around with the phylactery. It's a, a headband that has a box, and the box is on their forehead. And in the box is this, the Shema. On the right hand, there, there's a, a scripture, a, a leather wrapping bound to the right hand. When you go into the hotels, um, when you walk out of the doorway, there's right there on the doorway uh, a little scripture that is rolled up in this little encasing That shows that we're obeying the Lord. We're putting God's command on our frontlets of our forehead and on the doorposts. Do you think that this man knew this? Do you think he already understood the answer to the question? Absolutely, he understood the law. And Jesus says to him, hey, you've answered rightly. In Leviticus, the second part of it, Leviticus chapter 9, it says, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, But you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons, listen to this, the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself, I am the Lord. So in the book of Leviticus, as this is written, they understood this, your neighbor is those that are your own people. The Jews understood that, that my neighbor, they're, they're from us. They're my fellow Jews. They thought about their own. And, and we're the same way as Americans at times. Um, I remember a Bugs Bunny cartoon. This is just kind of funny. Growing up, do you guys remember the Bugs Bunny cartoon? This random guy would walk around and say, hey, can you, can you, do you have some spare change to help a fellow American that's down on his luck? Do you guys remember that one? <laughs> if you remember that one, it's just like there's always this American. Hey, can you help a fellow American that's down on his luck? And, and I just think about sometimes our neighbor, we look at neighbors as people that lend us sugar or milk that live next door. Uh, we look at them in college as the person in the hall. We call them a, a suite mate if we live in the same suite or a, a dorm, you know, roommate or they live on our hall, on our floor. Those are our neighbors. But it is not often that we think of our neighbors as just anyone. That's not my neighbor. A neighbor is someone that's close by. A neighbor is someone that I know. A neighbor is someone that I trust. A neighbor is someone that I get along with. A neighbor is someone that has something in common with me. He asks this question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, hey, do this. You know, and, and then Jesus says, how do you read the law? You know, what's your understanding of it? And so the, the lawyer, he answers, the, he answers well. And Jesus says, yes, if you do this, you will live. Now, Lest we should think, okay, easy, oh, no-brainer, oh, easy, I got that. Can you imagine Jesus telling you that? Hey, do you want to inherit eternal life? Love God with every fiber of your being, with all of your heart, your emotions. They're always loving towards Him. Not angry, not rebellious. Love Him with all of your soul. Love Him with all of your mind. Your thoughts are always towards God. Not thinking on sin and other things. Love Him with all of your heart. Love him with all of your might, your strength. Work for him. Do all of these things. How many of us do that 100% of the time? No one. No one. I'm glad no one raised their hand. All right, because if you would to raise your hand, I would have had to embarrass you in front of everyone else saying, I'm sorry, but you're either self-deceived or you're lying. Um, but what about the second part? Love your neighbor as yourself. There's an assumption uh, built into this that, He already loves himself that we already love ourselves as i've said before you know when it's lunchtime what do we think of me i'm hungry i want something to eat and we start to think of what we want to eat if there's a picture that is taken of a group you know click okay i just posted on facebook and immediately everyone's looking where's my picture where's my face and it's a good picture if you're looking good and everyone else might look bad but it doesn't matter that's a good picture all right, And if you look bad, then and everyone else looks good. It's a bad picture. We automatically, we think of ourselves. And even when we are sometimes depressed and throwing a pity party, we're still thinking about self. We're still consumed with, with self instead of thinking about others. Jesus is not saying not to love yourself. He's just saying this, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your, he's not saying don't love yourself. He's just saying, love your neighbor the way that you think. As much as you think about you, think about other people. The way that you want your life to be good. You want to feed yourself. You want to clothe yourself. I mean, how many of you think about clothing? You, you wake up, and you're like, I have nothing to wear. This giant closet. I have nothing to wear today. And, and we think about ourselves. Well, Jesus is saying, think about other people the way that you think about you. And now... If you do this, if you are perfect in these things, you'll live. Now, in verse 29, the attorney, I mean the lawyer, it says, but he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Notice that we have the motive in him asking. He wants to justify himself. How many times do we try to justify our actions? When, when there's something that God wants us to do, or when it comes to justifying sin, and we, we justify it with the but. Okay, love your neighbor as yourself. You know what? But this guy, but this girl, but she does this, but he does that. Um, we, we justify ourselves sometimes, and in doing that, this lawyer wants to say but who is my neighbor all right in a sense jesus you're having this really really high standard but who is my neighbor i think of peter remember when peter asked jesus how many times should i forgive you know someone that sins against me up to seven times thinking that he's super spiritual by asking in that way and jesus says no up to 70 times seven and i I find that jesus's answers are always deeper and more committed and more faithful than my answers. Because so many times, it's almost like I want, to, I want Jesus to grade on the curve. Jesus, uh, show me that I am good based on how I am according to the 50 percentile. Or according to how these other people are doing. So who's my neighbor? And in seeking this justification, I love the fact that Jesus answers him with this long answer. I think he's trying to engage him. He's not just rebuking him. He's not blowing him out of the water. Jesus answered and said in verse 30, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now Jesus says, this man goes from Jerusalem to Jericho. Uh, Jerusalem is about 3000 feet in elevation. Jericho is at about 1,000 feet in elevation. There are 17 miles of winding road that go against a desert foothill on the way from Jerusalem to Jericho. Dangerous, narrow passes. Even today, there's a road that goes from Jerusalem to Jericho. And if you're on a tour bus, you're afraid because you could see over the edge and it's very narrow. This is a road that during the time of Christ, and after that, it was called the, the road of blood. Or the way of blood. Not only because of accidents. But because on a narrow place like this. When you come around a corner. And there's no one else there. And you're out of sight. Robbers would stay by the side of the road. And if you're traveling. You're in danger. And so this man. It says this certain man comes from Jerusalem to Jericho. And so he fell among thieves. They noticed that they robbed him. It says that they stripped him of his clothing. Notice it says that they wounded him. They left him alone. They departed, leaving him half dead. So this man is dying. They leave him. He's beaten. And I just think that it's important that we don't just read through Scripture without putting ourselves in that place to be able to understand what that was like on a road like that. This guy has very, very low chance of survival. It says by chance. And remember when it says by chance, I, I just think that it's important for us to understand that we have a free will that God has given to us. And we are accountable to our actions and to our choices. But God is still sovereign. And even in our choices, there's a purpose in it. There's something that God wants to teach us or show us. That there's no accidents with him. So in a sense, it's by chance. But a certain priest came down that road. So this priest is coming down the road. People knew that he was a priest. How? By the way he was dressed. Okay, There was a traditional dress outside of the temple. The priest would be wearing. He's walking down that road. And I'm just thinking about robbers that are there. Maybe maybe some of the robbers have still a little bit of respect. They see a priest and there's still something that's sacred. Or maybe they're afraid of attacking a priest. Or maybe they're just thinking a priest probably doesn't have anything. It's not very well. There's nothing to rob from him. But this priest comes walking by and it says when he saw him he passed by on the other side here's a priest religious man a a man that is to we call him a a man of the cloth today someone that's to represent god a minister someone that is to be in the service of god he sees this man and and just this i just think of it as a clump of beaten flesh if this man is beaten and he's wounded and he's, he's half dead, you know, I don't know if any of you have ever come across an accident scene, but I have. There have been several times that I've stopped. Um, a couple of times I've been the first responder. And, and as a first responder, I mean, you're looking at first aid. You're thinking about, I remember my, my sister and I were driving on uh, the 10 freeway on the way up Kellogg Hill by Cal Poly Pomona. And as we're driving, this, this truck, a, a UPS-sized truck, just starts flipping over the freeway. And the driver gets tossed out. And, and we put on our hazards. I tell my sister to stop. I get out of the car. And this guy is lying there. And I walk up to him. And the guy's in shock. And I'm looking at the guy. And he had been scalped. And, and literally, his, the hair on his head was, was falling off. I remember just trying to keep him calm and then just kneeling down with him and, and telling him, hey, okay, someone's going to call 911. And at that point in time, e- even with first aid training, having been a lifeguard, trying to figure out in, in the moment, like, what do I do? You know, and it was the Lord who had an off-duty paramedic stop just like five minutes after me, saying, hey, I got this. You know, you've done a good job by covering him up, keeping him, you know, safe. But I, I just look at this priest. He sees a guy in a situation like that. And he crosses to the other side of the road. I don't know if he acted like he didn't see him. I just imagine what it would be like in this parable, you know, of, of someone to be laying down and, and just watching as someone walks by. And they're walking towards you and you're thinking, here comes a priest and he crosses over to the other side. You know what Jesus is teaching? is he's, he's teaching that sometimes even religious people can have a heart that is heartless. Sometimes even religious people that have a name for a function, like priest, put it into our words, they have a name like pastor, put it into our day, like a name like Christian can just see a person in need and act like we don't see them. And just walk over to the other side. Just act like they're invisible. We don't see the need. We don't. We didn't. We didn't watch that commercial. We didn't see the news. We didn't see the person on the corner. We didn't see our neighbor. We didn't see our friend. We didn't see our roommate. We didn't see our brother. We didn't see our. And sometimes we could just we could just pass by on the other side. It says likewise in verse thirty-two, a Levite. So the Levites were like the assistants to the priest. All priests were 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 from the tribe of Aaron, but these Levites were from um they were there, uh, the priests were from the line of Aaron but Levites were a larger group and they were to assist the priests when a Levite arrived at the place he came and he looked so notice he came he looked there's something um specific it doesn't it says for the the priest he saw him he might have been walking and randomly saw but this guy it says he came and he looked it, it has this notion that he what is is that guy dead who is that he he looks and he sees him and he passed by on the other side again he didn't just happen to walk by and see the man on the ground but he came and he looked and then he passed by on the other side in verse 33 but a certain samaritan as he journeyed came where he was and when he saw him just like the other men saw him it says he had compassion See, the difference in this Samaritan between him and the Levite and the priest was that he felt compassion on the man that was there on the side of the road. Now remember this, as we studied John chapter 4 a couple of weeks ago, the woman at the well, remember that the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. The Samaritans came from the northern ten tribes of Israel that forsook God, built their own temple, um, started worshiping in their own way, committed blasphemy idolatry Um, the Assyrians came from the north wiped them out assimilated to them and, and now they're half breeds and and the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans there was a racial and a religious tension does that sound familiar does that just sound like turn on any channel of the news today and you see that happening the racial and religious tension You see Shiites and Sunnis fighting and killing each other. You see Muslims that are killing other Muslims. You see Muslims that are killing Christians. You see these things happen across nationalities. You see these things happen in different nations. And this is not a story that Jesus is telling that is not relevant to where we are today in 2015 when you consider this is what we're facing. This is real social, cultural issues in our world today. It's not way out there. It's right in front of us. It's all around us. And it says here that this Samaritan had compassion. So what did he do in verse 34? He went to him. He went to him. He looked, he saw him, but then he went to him. There's a, um, an intentional effort to go to him. And then what did he do? He bandaged his wounds. I don't think that he had a first aid kit with him. So in order to bandage his wounds, he's having to tear probably pieces of his own garment off. Um, <laughs> my son, Josiah, he, he went mountain biking the other day um, with a, a friend just the day yesterday. Yeah, yesterday. And uh, they wiped out. And both of them wiped out. Both of them, their knees were bloody. And uh, they're looking around for something. There was nothing. My, my son had a backpack. He had a towel. And he's just ripping pieces, strips of the cloth and wrapping them around his leg to stop the bleeding. He came home and I'm looking at, you know, blood dripping down his leg and like this, this ugly bandage that's all dirty. And he's like smiling because he had such a good time. But uh, I was just looking at that going, hey, that, that just reminded me. The good Samaritan, you know, he, he had to rip, he had to tear something of his own in order to bandage this man up. Then he poured oil and wine, very expensive. Uh, oil and wine, wine being an antiseptic, oil being something that would soothe. And then he set him on his own animal. He picks this guy up. He puts him on his own animal. And I just imagine him as he's walking, he's having to hold this guy steady so that this man doesn't fall off. And he brought him to an inn and he took care of him. And the next day, verse 35, the next day, what does that mean? It means he stayed the night. It's one thing like, hey, I... I helped a guy for a little bit, for five minutes on a freeway. The paramedic came. He's like, hey, it's okay. I, I was able to drive away. This, this guy, he bandages his wounds, pours oil and wine. He brings him to an inn. He pays for him to stay there, and he stays the night with him, probably changing the bandages, probably giving him something to eat, probably giving him something to drink. And the next day he departed, and he took out two denarii, which is a day's wages two days wages and he gave them to the innkeeper and he said to him take care of him whatever more you spend when i come again i will repay you hey you know what admit him to the hospital i got it i got here's my visa and whatever it takes to bandage him to keep him safe you know just charge it to this He says in verse 36, Jesus explaining this to this lawyer, which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? What do you think? What do you think, lawyer? What do you think, expert in the law? Which one of these was a neighbor to him who fell among thieves? Again, we look at the Samaritan who not only stopped but had compassion on him. And and you know what this is showing us? This is showing us that this Samaritan is reflecting the heart of Jesus. This is what it looks like to love our neighbor as ourselves. Now when you consider what Jesus has done for us, he left heaven to come to earth. He came to a hostile community of people that rejected him. He was beaten, he was stripped. We realize that uh, the oil and the wine is representative of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out upon us Jesus clothes us. He bandages us. He says that um, this man set this this wounded man on his own animal. Jesus bears our burdens. He takes care of us. Uh, He brings them to the end. Jesus pays for us. He paid for our sins. He says, when I return, I will repay. Jesus will return. He will repay. Now, there's a theological truth to this parable. It teaches us what Jesus is like. In fact, if you study just uh, in in another chapter that they went through a Samaritan city and the Samaritan city rejected Jesus and his disciples. And James and John, who are apostles, asked Jesus a question. Jesus, do you want us to call fire down from heaven? Do you want us to torch these guys? Like, give us the power to do that and we'll do it. We'll We'll just... Bring fire from heaven if you would just allow us to do that. And Jesus doesn't do that. He calls them, you know, these sons of thunder. He doesn't he doesn't operate in the same way that we operate. Now important for us to understand. Let us let's put it this way. Let, just I'm gonna give it a modern context to it, and I pray that. That in that modern context, it doesn't detract and become too much of a tangent, but helps us to understand this heart behind it. You know, I I just think about this. Imagine, imagine that there's an American and this American is a correspondent. He's a, he's a, you know, a, a journalist writing about what is happening in Syria. And, and just imagine that this American is there taking pictures, you know, trying to do things and. And he gets kidnapped and he gets beaten and he's wounded. And there's a Muslim that is there, a Syrian Muslim, that has compassion on this American journalist. And during a time when people aren't watching, he takes him away and he hides him. He risks his own life. He puts him away, he bandages up his wounds, he takes care of him. And he has a different belief system and he's from a different ethnicity, but he shows compassion on this man. And he becomes a neighbor. And what Jesus is showing to this lawyer, which one of these three is the neighbor? It's the Samaritan. The Samaritan is acting as a neighbor to this man. Now, important to understand this we are not justified and saved because of good works and social action. That does not save us. Jesus died on the cross for a reason. Because we can't pay for our own sins. We are not perfect. But it also does not excuse us from having compassion and doing what Jesus has called us to do. Because in Matthew chapter 25, one of the signs of a true believer, one of the things that identifies someone that calls Jesus Lord as a real conversion, a regenerated heart, is Jesus says this, you know, on that last day, I'm going to separate the sheep from the goats. And on one side, there's going to be sheep. On another side, there's going to be goats. And there's going to be some that are going to say, Lord. And and Jesus is going to say to them, what? I never knew you. Why? Because I was naked and you didn't clothe me. I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was in prison. You didn't come to visit me. In other words, we're not saved by that. That doesn't justify us. But it's an evidence of faith in my heart that there's a true regenerated heart that the Holy Spirit is working. So I have compassion for people. I think that we run the danger as evangelical Christians or as as Bible-believing Christians to say, well, I'm saved not by good works. I'm saved by what Jesus has done for me. And therefore, optional is compassion. Therefore, optional is social justice, optional is helping the poor those are optionals but i'm going to heaven based on this and i would i I would just say we run a danger of being like this lawyer now was this lawyer saved i don't know i i I can't answer that because scripture doesn't say did he come to faith I, i don't know that but what i do know is this is that jesus is getting to the heart of the matter and again very important that we don't We don't go either or on these things. See, there are some churches that are incredibly, incredibly doing the good work of social justice. They are freeing slaves. They are feeding the poor. They're looking for ways to to make inroads into a community. And, And some of them said is that they look at the Bible as optional. They look at the Bible as like, well, yeah, there's some good things. I like these things, but I don't like some of these words. I don't like some of the truth about Jesus and some of the things he said or or some of the the ways that God wants us to live. We just want to live our lives how we want to live and we will be the ones to define what love is and what that looks like. Then you have other churches that say, hey, we're all about the word of God. We're all about Bible-believing Christians following the word of God. And do nothing to lift a finger on oppression and hurt. And we see that as optional. So we have to be very careful not to judge other people in our self-righteousness and say, well, we're not like them. You know what? Jesus convicts me because when I'm reading this, I, need to, I see myself, and I realize, okay, here's a, here's a priest, and here's a Levi. I'm a pastor. I'm kind of one of these guys. And I could be on my way to church to teach a Bible study or to minister to a group, and I could pass right by someone that I could see that has a need. I could be so busy with my own life that I don't see the people around me that are hurting. And you know what? Sometimes we could be so busy doing good things that we don't see person that is wounded or we see them and, and even worse is we pass on the other side we act like we don't see them we act like they're not there and there's a lot of different type of disenfranchised hurt people in this world there are people that that have been abused by their spouses there's a whole foster care system for children that have been abandoned that we can partner with and we could come alongside of and we could help There are people that are addicted to drugs and alcohol. And there are are ministries that specifically minister to them. And we could come alongside of them. There are ministries that feed the homeless. And and it is not an excuse to say, well, they're doing that. They got it covered. My ministry is a a, a different ministry. Now, again, I'm not saying that you're all to quit your jobs and, and to do, you know, any of these things full time. But I'll tell you, one of the things that we could do is we could ask Jesus to give us his heart. We could ask Jesus to help us to become more like him. See, Jesus saw us and he approached us. He healed our wounds. He got dirty for us. He pours out his spirit. He pours out the oil and the wine. Antiseptic is cleansing. The, the oil is, is soothing. Jesus put the cross on his own back. There was no room for Jesus at the end, but he goes to prepare a place for us. He doesn't leave us. He doesn't forsake us. He provides the body of Christ to have fellowship with. He paid the price we could not pay. And then he says, I will come again, and I will reward you, and I will pay. See, we could ask Jesus to have his heart. And that's what God would desire for us to do. Verse 37, the last verse in this part we are looking at, he said... Jesus asked them the question, which one of these three was neighbor to him who fell by by the, the wayside or by the thieves? In verse 37, the attorney answers, the lawyer answers, he who showed mercy on him. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Whatever you see Jesus do, follow that example. You know, there's a lot of things right now that there are debates about. There are things that are going on in our nation and around the world. And, and I, I want to look past Democrats and Republicans. I want to look past news correspondents and talk show hosts. I want to look past debates and, um, you know, these open forums. I want to look beyond that. I want to look to Jesus and say, what Jesus, what do you want me to do? I want to look to Jesus' example and say, well, how did Jesus respond to people? And, and that's for me as a Christian. Now, now understand this. There's a government and there's a church. Government is instituted by God. It's n- government in Romans chapter 13. Number one responsibility of government is to punish evil and to protect. Number one. But number one for us as Christians is to show compassion. It's to love people. So you may have, there may be different views. Not may. There are. There are a lot of polarizing views sitting right here. The people next to you, behind you, polarizing views of how we see, like the Syrian refugees, polarizing views about how, how we see, you know, Islam in, in the United States, how we should respond. There's polarizing views, but our view should be what is Jesus's view? Jesus full of what? Grace and truth. Don't compromise truth. When you serve someone, when you love someone, Don't just serve them and love them without telling them the way, the truth, and the life is through Jesus. Don't serve someone and love someone without somehow letting them know why you're doing it and the motivation when that comes up. Hey, the reason why I'm doing this, I just want you to know that God loves you, that Jesus loves you, that God sent his son to die for your sins. And if you don't believe that, that's fine. I will still love you. If you don't believe that, that's fine. I'm still going to give you some food. I'm still going to help you. Now, What about getting ripped off? What if you get ripped off? Hey, you're helping someone and you don't know if this person is just duping you and you're going to be made to look like a fool. And you give someone food, but he has enough money. She has enough money to pay for food. You paid for their bus ticket, but they had enough money to pay for the bus ticket. Do you think you're going to get to heaven? And Jesus is going to say, I have one problem with you. You paid a ticket for someone that could afford it. That's my issue with you right now. Remember, Jesus said that in the, what we've done to the least of these, we've done it unto him. A cup of cold water in a disciple's name will receive a disciple's reward. So do we need to be wise? Yes. I'm, I'm for helping organizations and helping people individually, not just giving cash out indiscriminately. I don't want to fund someone's irresponsibility. I don't want to fund someone's habit. I don't know that. But I will point them towards people that, that do that, and I might buy them a meal, or, or I might get to know them individually. And if the Lord leads you to risk, then risk. See, some of the things that we do as Christians, sometimes we say, well, we shouldn't reach out to that person because we're going to risk not only being made a fool of, but man, if the Lord tells you to risk, then risk. One of the greatest dangers, I remember KPU Hannon said, one of the dangers, biggest dangers to depleting the mission field is well-intentioned Christian parents that are too afraid of their kids, even adult kids, going out and risking and going to places that, well, something might happen to you over there. You're moving to where? The inner city? No, don't move there. Live in a suburb and then just give money to the inner city. But what if Jesus is telling you, move to the inner city? Oh, you know what? I'm not going to move to that country because it could be dangerous over there. What if Jesus is telling you to go ahead and go to that country? And who am I to say, don't do that? (sighs) Uh, You know, I'm speaking by experience. It is a hard thing to send your daughter across the world to a place where she has to have an undercover name. And she can't act like she works with an organization and has a cover. There's... There's nights of staying up worried. But you know what? Heaven is a long time. Eternity is forever. And there are people that are dying because they don't know Christ. And we're too afraid to go up to them and say something to them and give them grace and truth. Because they don't want the truth. It's not grace or truth. It's grace and truth. That's what Jesus is. When we celebrate Christmas That's the incarnation. Jesus, the word became flesh. And what did he do? He dwelt among us. So that we could see his glory. And we could see what God with skin looks like. And it's not enough to say that's a social agency's job. It's not my job. My job is to be comfortable and and to go to Bible studies and learn more. No. No, our job is to learn more and allow the Holy Spirit to change us. And then our job is to teach others. And our job is to invite people. And our job is to go to them because what did the good Samaritan do? He saw him, he felt compassion and he went to him. He didn't say, okay, I'm just going to keep walking and if this guy gets up and follows me then I'm going to take care of him. Lord, I'll know it's you if this guy gets up and walks next to me and says, hey, I need some help and then I'll know it's you. He takes risk and he goes to him. And so this morning, just as we close... To take this to heart, who is my neighbor? The real question is this, who am I a neighbor to? Jesus flips it around. He flips it around. Who's the hero of this story? It's not a Jew. It's not a a priest. It's not a Levite. The hero of this story is this Samaritan. And in a sense, what Jesus is telling this lawyer is, you be the good neighbor to these people. It's not just about who's a good neighbor, uh, but about me being the good neighbor. Let me ask you this. Who's hard for you to love? It might not be someone that lives far away. It might be someone in your own household. And God says, love your neighbor. And that neighbor is married to you. That neighbor is your mother or father. That neighbor is your son, daughter. Maybe that's the person that's hard to love right now. God says, be a neighbor to that person. It's evidence of this regenerated heart. And so... As Christians, man, we sang the perfect song this morning. We did not set that up. They will know we are Christians by our love. By our love. Yes, they will know that we are Christians by our love. Amen? Father, this morning we want to thank you that you give us the example. That Jesus, you are full of grace and truth. Jesus, we want to thank you that you never compromised the rich young ruler who came to you, Nicodemus who came to you, this, this lawyer who came to you, that Jesus, you, you gave them truth, you showed them, maybe in their own lives, areas where they were lacking, Lord, in, in other places, they just needed to be born again, they needed to be regenerated. And this morning, I want to pray for anyone here that has never surrendered to you, has never said, Jesus, come into my life. Because Lord, when we look at the parable of the Good Samaritan, I pray this morning that you would help us to realize we are like the wounded men. Lord, we are half dead in a sense, Lord, if we're not born again. We have this physical life. We have a, a pulse and a heartbeat. But Lord, that spirit within us needs to be birthed. So I pray right now, if you've never trusted jesus by faith and committed your life to him and received his love and grace and mercy that today would be the day of salvation and if that is you would you just pray with me would you just pray this prayer jesus forgive me for my sins like this man i cannot save myself but i ask that you would save me i pray that you would give me a new heart lord that you would change my heart you would give me a new spirit, that you would fill me with your spirit. Help me to follow you in Jesus' name. Then, Father, for those of us that are Christians, Lord, we are disciples, followers of Christ. I pray that you would help us not to think of compassion as an optional. I ask you, Lord, that you would give us eyes to see as you see. I pray for hearts that, that are touched the way that the way that your heart is touched. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to reach out to people the way that you've reached out to us. So, Lord, as we sing to you and as we worship, Jesus, would your Holy Spirit just come now. We're just asking, Holy Spirit, come. Fill this place. Holy Spirit, fill our hearts. Holy Spirit, change our hearts. Holy Spirit, produce the fruit within us that we cannot produce just by an act of our own will. Change us.